Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. On today's episode, I am joined again by Mike Bainey from CEDHU and Eminence Gaming to discuss our approaches on brewing for CEDH and resources we recommend for brewing in CEDH. In this episode, we actually discuss uh, how we would brew a particular deck that we're going to talk about at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but that actually kind of devolved into a tangent. So some of that portion of the episode didn't make it into the final cut of this podcast. So if you want to hear all of our ramblings, head over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors and support us there to get access to the full uncut episodes. Plus, they're also videos. Also, don't forget that Oktoberfest is quickly approaching on November 18th through the 20th. So if you haven't gotten registered yet, make sure to get registered over at monarch.cards. If you're unfamiliar with this event, which I don't know how you could be, I've been talking about it for a month now. It's a CDH tournament in Philadelphia put on by the same people who did Marchessa earlier this year in Seattle. I will be there doing an intro to CEDH panel with Lewis Stardust, Dan from Moderately Anonymous MTG, and Dylan and Kim from Play to Win Friday the 18th. Marchessa earlier this year was a blast, and I can't wait to get to see all your lovely faces again here in a few weeks. It's been a while. I've missed the last couple of events, but I'm really excited to just get to see everybody. Honestly, I've got my cube. I'm brewing up a deck to play at this event. Like I'm I am so excited for Oktoberfest. You, you guys don't even understand. So, again, if you haven't yet signed up, head over to monarch.cards to get registered today. With all that said, let's get into my conversation with the great Mike Bainey. We have a question here from one of our patrons, and I think this does a pretty good job of uh, introing some of what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Uh, so this question is from patron Sliverboy, and the question is, uh, what's your take on hand disruption decks in CEDH? Nath, Kroxa, even things like Kess built to recast discard spells, etc. So what is your thought on that, Mike, on those types of builds? Like th there really isn't a lot of. I feel like there hasn't been a ton of exploration in that side of CEDH. Yeah. I, it's a good question. I will say that I think hand disruption, it's a weird spot because the, the decks that do it tend to be able to like utilize whatever the opponents are trying to get rid of in some mm -hmm. fashion before the opponent can do it. So like it, it there's two ways to look at it. One of them is, okay, look at all this stuff that I can now use, mm -hmm. right? If you're running, you know, uh, what is it? Dwathi? Uh, Dwathi? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, stuff like that, where you can actually like use that information or you're just feeding a breach. Mm-hmm. So like it gets, it gets a little weird in there. Um, me personally, I'm not a hand disruption person. I think that like I tend to the latter side of that where it's, I don't want to feed your breach. I don't want to just make you pitch things. Granted, it, it, you know, it has some tempo pieces to it where you're like, okay, you know, they had this thing and now they have to choose which thing goes away because they're not going to be able to use this. And oh, okay. All right. But I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not big on it. <laughs> I am a little more interested in the archetype now that a bunch of cards have been errated to say surveil. Um, and that's specifically that's because of disinformation campaign. Um, okay. Which reads whenever disinformation campaign enters the battlefield, you draw a card and each opponent discards a card. Whenever you surveil return disinformation campaign to its owner's hand. So it is a consistent way to make because the biggest issue I see with this card in CEDH, right? And honestly, really just EDH in general, I think we could just expand it to that is the fact that you have three opponents. So targeted disruption is like thought sees is not very good duress not very good uh any of those effects but effects that hit all of your opponents and make them discard cards i think are much more much more intriguing to me on that axis if that makes sense yeah Um, i mean you you have to do that with any effect but i think discard is it I, I I don't I don't know because in my mind I'm going okay if each player is discarding a card unless and this is how I brew a lot of my decks mm-hmm. just segue into it but if if I can do that a forever number of times at any one point in time then I'm more okay with that being the situation or if I'm running something that like exiles yards right. or anything like a rest in peace or anything like that like I'm I'm about that life then. But for me, if it's each opponent discards a card and so on and so forth, unless I can just rip your hand apart entirely, my brain just immediately goes, yeah, this is really cool. But again, I'm feeding into like these breach lines and they kept the hand they kept for a reason. Uh, that is kind of where we stand. Thank you, patron sliver boy. If you would like to ask a question to either myself or the Sculpty Boys or one of our guests, uh, please go ahead and become a patron of the Mind Sculptors. One of the patron perks for our uh, channel is getting to ask a question for the uh, Dear Sculpty Boys segment on the show. Uh, so, Michael Beanie. I'm here. It has been not about that long weeks. since we last talked to you, about two <laughs> weeks. Uh, this might come out a little bit past that, like when we're recording it, but it's okay. Um, it is good to have you back. One of my good friends in the CDH community. Hello, hello. 
And uh, today we're going to be revisiting a topic that we've discussed on this channel before. Actually, what like our very first episode on this channel, which is uh, brewing and what type of stuff we do when we go through brewing. And instead of just looking at how cobble pop brews, uh, instead we're going to be looking at how <laughs> the other side of the spectrum we brew. Um, how does the crazy man brew decks? Yeah, how do the, how, the, do the how the people who <laughs> brew slightly slightly on meta decks, um, but but not entirely. Yeah, uh, weird, janky, interesting things that get the job done well. Yeah. So yeah. I guess <laughs> my first question uh, I would have here for you. Mm-hmm. is when we are looking at setting up like the 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 beginning of brewing yeah for for you where is it that you usually start because i i i have a very like i i come from it from different angles it usually depends on like what the idea is, but where is it that Michael Bainey uh, starts with your, your brewing process, my, my process, um, the initial idea, where does, where does that usually start? So there's a couple different ways, I guess, to describe this whole shindig. Um, and I'm weird. Cause it, 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 some, it, my inspiration sometimes will come from, a combination of things. Sometimes it'll come from a card, mm-hmm. not a commander, to be very specific, right? Um, there's a difference between brewing Rael and brewing a deck that makes Thousand Year Storm work, right? Right. So uh, sometimes it comes from a commander, right? Um, today was a great example. I just started working on a Gale Flicker deck. Um, I know that Gale Scion is a thing, mm-hmm. um, but I saw. Gale and I know Scion is is out there, but I've always had a love for uh, ghostly flicker effects and being able to do the thing. And Candle Keep is the background that I chose to keep with it. So effectively, okay. you would ghostly flicker, draw your whole deck uh, with the combo lines, and then you can Thoracle for win if you want to, or whatever your imagination wants to do. So, like that, that's where my head typically lives. Is what do I want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And then what is inspiring the thing and how do I make it work? So I, I, I tend to live in all the different piles, right? There's, there's names for all of them. Some people pile brew, mm-hmm. some people stack brew, some people line brew. Like that's just who we are. And I think that I, I, I'm in a little bit of each of them. Yeah. So I know for me, when I'm usually trying to, brew something it's usually based around this idea of i want to play use the just the the hand disruption thing as an example so i want to play a control deck from x angle right yep um and so i i usually start looking at okay so where are the cards what colors do the cards that have the effects that I'm trying to do live? So what colors are they usually in? 
Um, and then what are the colors that best support that? And yeah. so that's usually where I start. I usually start like bottom up uh, where it's like yeah. um, trying to like, I think stone blade is a really good example. Like how I ended up on Arden Crom is it started as a, like a little bit of, I was playing Ojatai and I was trying to optimize that, but eventually it ended up becoming, I really liked the stone blade package. And I was like, I think this is a little underexplored in CDH. And so I wanted to find the best shell for that. And so I, you know, started looking at, okay, so obviously blue white is where equipment and artifacts are like really shining. So what are stuff, what are things that can amplify that in a, in a good way? So I go and I, I look at. Uh, different commanders that synergize with it or different stuff with that is within those colors. Yeah. And then I go, okay, cool. So I have, this is where I'm working at. And then I, then I start to fill out from there. Um, yeah. Yeah. For you. I tend to, I tend to look at an effect and see uh, for, for everybody that's listening, watching, viewing, so on and so forth. I, I tend to be, a little bit more of what's an effect that's out there and what's the most interesting way I can do it. Mm-hmm. Because I leave to people like you or, or cobble or Pongo or, or anything like that to find like the most efficient stack. Um, I'm a guy that brews the weird off brand, uh, you know, adjacent decks. Um, Teamer is my, my pairs, right? That's, that's where I like to live. Mm-hmm. Um, a great example of this is Zada Polystacks. Which is a deck that I brewed out of nowhere, but it's it's a polymorph deck. And when you hear polymorph, everybody's like, "Ooh, Urza!" Because you make a body get a creature out of your deck, and the rest of it's just whatever. Right. My brain went, "Okay, if I can target Zada with a polymorph, and I have X number of creatures in my deck, then I can get them all out all at once, and they just layer together, and then you die any number of infinite ways that all that stuff comes together." Right. So, like that was the inspiration in my head was like, "Okay, this is a line that I really like." This is something that exists. What's an interesting way to to cut that pie? Because I can do it the way that already exists. I can just make Urza, or I can make it my way and and get weird and janky with it. And it's got stacks pieces in it so that we can kind of slow slow the game down into our, our camp, knowing that it's going to take me a minute. Ways to protect Zada, so on and so forth. But yeah, hey, but brewing is is. This is going to be an elaborate conversation. It is. And because it's interesting because you see sometimes where really feels like they just picked a commander and then hit, uh, add CEDH staples and then just like cut it down to a hundred and then called it a day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a thing (laughs) like that's, that and and in in one of the things that I want to highlight there is like I understand that it's like oh I want to play all these good cards and it's like one of the things that I think that I I, I think that has gotten lost somewhat in the way that we brew is searching for cards that work specifically with your strategy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and I think it's uh, Maxfield has been Maxfield has been great for that because I'm I'm notorious for finding a card that no one's ever seen before and putting it in the deck and then making it do work. Like, do you remember the old talisman 
cycle from I think it's like Ice Age or something like that. Malachi Talisman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, like you can make we'll call it infinite, but arbitrarily huge amounts of mana using a Malachi Talisman in just about any green deck. Like Savala Storm, like mm-hmm. Titania, I use it in that. Like if you have a, a cradle, a Nykthos, anything that makes three plus green and can cast some things in the middle. Like that's a card no one knows about, but as soon as you land it, they're like, Oh my God, what is that thing? Right. And it, it you got to dig a little bit. You got to get a little bit off brand. It's okay to use the staples list as a way to learn the list. Like if you went in there and you were like, okay, I want to learn how to play X. Um, use that staples button to kind of fill the deck out. And then it'll put everything in there. You'll have to add a couple things, but then do what brewers do. Play the list, see where the failures are in it, pull those cards out, put some different ones in and go back and forth. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's kind of the interesting thing. So when you are going through and you're looking at these, what, like, do you, do you, how, how do you identify what your commander is going to be? I guess would be my question for you. I think, again, you know, I, uh, uh, both. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Garrison is a commander that was a commander that I saw that I was like, I want to build that. So then I just went from Garrison and started piecing together whatever things went into the list. Right. Um, and that's a very top down approach for that deck. On the the other side of that, looking at I'm trying to pull some lists up here. Um like there are some decks that I find a line that I really, really like, and then just a commander kind of exists. Mm-hmm. And that works out well too. Um uh let's see. A good, uh, probably a, an okay example of that is I built a, a wild pair deck with a Sika, and it's not a CEDH deck. It's probably it's in a high power bracket, mm-hmm. but a Sika existed, and because of the ETBs and the bridge and everything else, like it just kind of fit what I was trying to do, um, and it just it made it easy to to go down that path. I think the easiest way for people to brew is probably to look at a commander and say, I really like that commander. I'm going to do that thing. Um, It's probably harder for folks to go the other direction um, more often than not. And that's because of a card pool thing where we have 23,000 cards we can use versus, you know, a thousand commanders we can use. And then there's only X amount of viability, so on and so forth. Like totally different discussion. But um. I do a little bit of both, probably more so from a top down. But I don't let that kind of limit me. Sometimes I just really want to make a thousand year storm deck work. And that's when Rael was born. And granted, Rael's moved into, you know, what she really is, which is discards and draws and just a bunch of that. But that's kind of how that deck started. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um I know for me with brewing it again, I, I, I spoke about this in the uh, primer for Arden Kron. 
is some like the way I got there was an evolution of like starting with Ojitai and trying to optimize that and then trying to do these things. And then you find that, Oh, Arden exists. And then, well, what can I pair with Arden? And then you realize, Oh, Krom is basically does the same thing as Ojitai, but has haste and is also just passively draws cards and is the same mana cost. And, uh, this other commander I play with, it just lets me do the strategy that I'm trying to do for free. Um, and so it, it, that that's kind of how I ended up there, but then, but then to, to show the other side of that coin, I've also done a famously, uh, although I am finally free of the curse of uh, Lavinia and uh, it is, it's interesting because with that, it starts as, okay, well, I really like this commander. I really like what it does and how it attacks the meta. How do I build a deck around it that supports that deck, that card, but also wins the game. And sometimes that can be a struggle. So when you're, you, let's, let's talk about win cons when you're trying to find your win conditions, um, trying to find exactly how you're closing out the game, because in some decks that can be, you know, like, like Gale, for instance, you know, you're building yeah. a mono blue Gale deck um, and it, you know, Gale has a lot of cool abilities with it, but it doesn't win the game on its own. So yeah. what is it that you do to try and find win cons that go along with that? So I think win conditions are probably one of the more like unique and personal choices that mm-hmm. people make when they're brewing a deck. Um, there exists the most compact win condition of console Oracle. That's real. That happens. It's that exists. So fo- folks can decide to go down that path if they want to. Right. Right. Uh, same thing with Oracle. Like, do I want Gale to win through Oracle or do I want Gale to win through something else? Right. So, trying to find out what that thing is and define that space is, is interesting to me when I built Yidris storm, when I, when I had like melt banana put together, the intent oh of that was to, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, the intent of that initially was to kill everybody with a thousand lightning bolts. Like right. that was my whole goal in life was to build it that way. Cause that's what I wanted to do. Um, you know, some scepter decks want to just make infinite mana and kill people through a walking ballista. It is, I think it's extremely personal to decide what that win condition is because it's the one thing that the table is going to remember you for specifically. Right. Right. They're going to remember that time that Callahan dropped the Thoracle and wand on this thing. Right. They're going to remember the time that I won through whatever, you know, uh, everybody angels graced me <coughs> and. I had a Tatiova out and a reality shift and a Mystic Sanctuary and uh, Kadama, whatever. And I put this line together where I could reality shift everybody's libraries into play and then pass the turn so <laughs> that they, they couldn't win on my turn or couldn't lose on my turn. That's fine. So you'll just lose on your upkeep and then right. we're, we're good. Right. So like win conditions, they may, they may be very easy for you to establish to say, yep, I just went for Oracle and they're done, whatever. Mm-hmm. But 
for me, it's extremely personal. Like I really like the Narameha win condition of uh, the Scorched Desert that comes in and deals damage and flicker it a billion times, right? Like that may go into Gale. That may be a way that I'd like to win the game. Looking to protect your cards? Check out our sponsor, Dragon Shield. I personally have started using their dual matte sleeves, which have a fully opaque black interior, and they are just absolutely amazing at how nice they make my cards look. And hey, Oktoberfest is right around the corner, so maybe use our affiliate link to pick up some sleeves ahead of time. So go ahead, go into the description of this video or podcast, wherever you're watching, click on our Dragon Shield affiliate link to get your sleeves today while also supporting the channel. Thanks to Dragon Shield for supporting the Mind Sculptors. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Thank you to all of our wonderful patrons. Your continued support is what enables us to continue to bring you high-quality CDH content every week. If you want to listen to next week's episode right now, you can become a patron for as low as $2 a month and get access to the full uncut video episode right now. You will also get access to our patron-exclusive Discord server, plus the ability to submit a question to our Dear Sculpty Boys segment. So if you aren't a patron already, you can join the Sculpty family at patreon.com forward slash the Mind Sculptors. It's time to check in on our Apple podcast ratings. In this week, we have two new ratings. The first is from user Johnny Illfigure. It says, These lads always make for an interesting cast, always have the spicy takes, best stories, and of course, the dankest tangents. The equivalent of a five-star meal every time. Bravo. Well done, mates. The other review is from Jin Is My Dude. It says, This is the first podcast I recommend to anyone when they ask for CEDH content. It's insightful as well as entertaining to watch. Great to listen to while delivering packages on the job. Never miss one. Keep up the great work. Thank you both for your reviews. And remember that if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it out here on the show. Sort of live, whatever it is. But (laughs) Uh, thank you both for that review. Really honestly, I really appreciate it. Those were kind words. So, Uh, But with that being said... Let's get back into this episode with Mike Bainey. One slight tangent that I do want to do want to add to this that I think is really interesting. Um, that is a fun fact. Search for his Kanta has been eroded. So that instead of saying at the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library, you may put it into your graveyard. Then you can do the thing. Let me pull up the exact errata because I think this falls into the, okay, we're going to brew around dis- disinformation campaign, right? So we're brewing around this. Uh, if you 
search surveil on uh, Scryfall, you will find that search for Kanta has been eroded to say, say surveil. At the beginning of your oh, upkeep, they keyworded it. Yep, they <laughs> keyworded surveil, and so yeah. they've eroded it to say at the beginning of your upkeep, surveil right. one. Then, if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard, you may transform. That trigger. So, search for Kanta triggers disinformation campaign. There are a lot of cards now. Uh, consider is one of them that triggers disinformation campaign. So, that is one of the things where if you are wanting to pursue those things. This is where I talk about find cards that do efficient things for the the effect you're wanting to do. I think another good example, I know it's four mana, but it's not bad. Court of Ambition. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses three life unless they discard a card. So you're adding some amount of that discard ability to it. You're also giving them you're putting like people on pain. Uh, there's the eldest reborn. You discussed braids, frightful return. Like there, there's a oh, lot of ways to so the monarch. They lose six. I was like, there's got to be a. Feel like that number gets bigger. Oh yeah, it gets <laughs> much bigger. It, it's they lose six unless they discard two cards. Yeah. Um. So um, it, it, there's there's a lot of things. There's the Liliana of the Veil. There's the Lily Waker of the Dead. There's a lot of things that you can do. Um. I mean, hell, if you look at commanders for this, you could play Nicol Bolas the Ravager if you really wanted to go all in on it. And you can, again, that's a great place for Displacer Kitten. Um, so, again, like, this is a great kind of, I wouldn't call it a segue, um, but a great opportunity to uh, think about, I guess, layering within yeah. a deck. like. One thing for me, I hate combat. I think combat is wildly overrated. I don't like it. I know that it's underutilized. should mm-hmm. be used more. But I hate making enemies. I am a storm player. I want everyone dead at the same time. I'm not making an enemy. So when I brew a deck, my objective for everything is how do I do this thing at instant speed or outside of combat or whatever way that I got to do it. What's the way for that? The hand, the discards, the hand disruption, the tearing apart everybody's grip. My initial thought goes to, okay, I want to be able to displace your kitten lines. If we're sticking to that, mm-hmm. have an enchantment out, have whatever the, the thing is for me to be able to just say, nope, if you draw a card, I'm going to activate this thing and you pitch it immediately. That's it. I'm not. You don't get cards. And the fun thing with Displacer Kitten and Disinformation Campaign is the fact that you can just cast any instant spell and make them have to discard a card. Yeah. Like there's and, there's a lot yeah. of advantage there. Like I, I actually think there's something there. So like my brain is going to something where it's like every time I do X, they do Y. Mm hmm. Every time they pitch a card, I get a thing like shadow bag, tag shadow bag into it. Yeah. But have your displacer kitten. And then if you wanted, like, I do think Tim Necrom is probably a great spot for it because you can also do um, like Krark shit where you can cast your spell to get the displacer kitten trigger. And whether or not it happens or not, the cast happened. 
So like if it comes back to your hand, great. If it doesn't, you copy it. You do two things. They rip apart their hand even more. Like there's definitely a spot where that exists. It's just whether or not that deck is something that you would also you put enjoy the time and effort into figuring out well, that. And then you also need to be okay with being the bad guy kind of. Yeah. And the bad guy still exists in CDH. I know everybody's like, they're cutthroat. They're going to get it. Like they're just out for everybody's ass. And we're not. There is a guy that's out there that doesn't have a win con, even through beats, and the game takes six hours, and all of us hate that person. So you, you have can to just be okay say it's being, me. It's okay, Mike. You I mean, can just fine. say it's but me. I love you. It's okay. <laughs> Big loves. But, but like, you got to be okay being the guy that's like, okay, here's what the thing is. I'm going to kill you through beats, but every time you draw a card, I'm going to activate this thing again so you don't get a hand, you don't get draws, you don't get shit until I'm done with this. Right. Cool? Cool. And if the table's good, do your thing. But you got to own what you do. You got to have that accountability, right? We talked about that an episode or two ago that public accountability and that private accountability of like, I brewed this. It's awesome, but they're not going to like it. And you got to be cool with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly agree with that. So when it comes to filling out the list and uh, looking at how to build, you know, lists and come up with ideas, what is the, um, where do you usually go for uh, different places to find information on deck lists to try and find ideas and inspiration? Yeah. So this is, this is going to be a, a weird one. And it's going to sound like a, a marketing pitch here, but I use Moxfield for just about everything. Um, mm-hmm. I search and you, 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 the trick is to get extremely good with the scryfall syntax. Yep. If you're good with the scryfall syntax, you can pretty much find out anything from the history of magic, period. Um, and you can dig pretty deep. Alternatively to that, you can look up certain keywords in historical pieces. Like, I didn't know what shadow bag was until I asked the question. And then all of a sudden, when you realize what that is and how that lays out against what you're trying to do, you go, oh, that's that's actually kind of interesting. OK, cool. And maybe you could go down that path. This kind of feeds into our topic from last time again, that the community can be and typically is extremely well connected. Right. Sometimes that leads to our discourse and our anger and our yelling and our this and that. But it also can lead to you getting an answer to a question as you're trying to brew this unique, interesting thing, because, hey, I really want to do this. Is there a list out there that does uh, that thing? Yeah. Right. Is it the best list? Maybe not, but that's also up to you to help improve that, right? I have the time now. I have the interest. I have the desire to take this thing, which may be a a, a good list, but I have the insight and I have the creativity to look at it from a different angle. And all of a sudden it's a great list and we can, right. we can work down that path. Brewing is never ending process. It involves a ton of different resources, whatever the best way it is for you. Some people go to EDH rec, some people go to Moxfield, some people go to Architect, some people go to Scryfall, whatever. If I have a shadow bag thing, I just go on Twitter and just go, hey, Cobble, what's shadow bag? And he goes, let me tell you about this in 34 tweets. And that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, right. So. It, it, it's interesting. I know for me, I like right now, I'm just like looking through discard stuff on yeah. uh, 
on EDA Trek. And, you know, I won't use everything that's in here because, you know, a lot of stuff here comes from varying power levels, but I do think that it is a really great um, resource because there's a lot of stuff. And we talked about this in my episode with Cobblepot all the way back two years ago is that just because it's not something that you see in the EDH staples doesn't mean uh, it is going to give you something great. Exactly. Um, So there's a lot of stuff there that I think is very interesting and you could probably get a lot of mileage out of. Uh, I, I again think that for me, again, when I'm brewing stuff, I try to, I try to be in a space where I'm able to interact with all of my opponents instead of a singular opponent. Yeah. So typically cards that, uh, target a player or are really only dealing with one player i try to avoid those but i mean you do you fam like if you want to go after one player go after one player i um to to further dive into like the the details of resources of stuff i think that once you learn i'm not a huge fan of eda trek mm-hmm. and and the reason for that is <clears throat> it only shows you slices of things it shows you what everybody's trying to do but it doesn't show you the like the other stuff that people right. may have missed or anything like that which is why i'm really big on the scryfall syntax i don't care where you use it it applies in a thousand different places so this isn't a pitch for one or another right but it's important to be able to do that right so if you go into you know browser of your choice uh and go in there and go, oh, discard a card, CMC less than three, not a creature. You get 36 results in all of magic. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm going to go through these 36 cards. I'm gonna, wow, bag of holding. Wow, that's really cool. Bone shards. Wow, that's a, a way to just murk a creature. And if I could pitch a card, if I'm in Tolul's, I'll be able to get that back when she dies. Yep. That's pretty dope. Cool. Like you just work your way through this list. You go, wow, chains. Never going to read that uh, and, and just write <laughs> and just keep moving through it. Like you see these really interesting things. I think EDH rec has become. It's hard for me. It used to feel super duper like mid to high in yeah. power level. And what I've seen recently is because of the way. And I, I was just talking to Shivam about this a little bit. The way that casual has started to power creep. You're starting Mm -hmm. to run into card selection, which is even more efficient in terms of like CEDH play that you're just starting to get all the things that run into like the CEDH staples list. Right. And it's starting to feel that way more and more for me. And I'm just, it's useful for some folks. It's just not for me. And again, that's okay. I still think like I use it alongside doing the Scryfall syntax. It's one of those things where it's, I I don't think you should only use one thing. I usually am like, here's like a set of things that you can use. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I have used is there is a Frank Karsten article uh, that has a formula on how to optimize your mana base, uh, regardless of whether you're in 60 card, 80 card, 99 cards. 
Yeah. Um, and it has actually made my like mana screw problems across formats uh completely like go away. Yeah, go away. Because like my CEDH lists all run about exactly around the exact number that you should be playing based on the math. And hey, I'm not missing curves very often. Uh, and I think that is a huge deal. I think that there are a lot of people who don't build mana bases in a way that uh, is. A lot of people want to just build greedy mana bases because they're like, oh, it won't matter. But I do think yeah. that, like, if you look at the people who really know what they're doing, they're using very similar principles to what's in this uh, Frank Karsten article uh, because it's a great way of figuring out, okay, these, this is my set of cards and these are how many lands that I probably should be playing or how many mana sources I should probably be, be playing. And yeah. it really makes your decks function better. And I think when you're brewing, having a mana base that functions is uh, very helpful. Important. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's a certain learning curve to a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And mana base is probably the one that's like the hardest I I think, that, for, yeah. for a lot of people. And it's because they're like, okay, when you first enter EDH, everybody tells you 36 to 38. Mm-hmm. That's it. Then you get into CEDH and you talk to Mikey. Mikey would tell you to put 24 lands in your deck and walk away from it. And then you'll find another person that tells you to put 32 in there. 24 to 32 is not 36 to 38. So now mm-hmm. you're running into that wall. And then you look at the lands you have, and they're like, okay, well, you know, 10 of those lands are all fetch lands. Okay, cool. So that's like slims to pile down a little bit. Uh, I also see some doles in here. So, so like, what are the lands that we run? There's utility lands that we have. We have the channel lands now. You know, do I run the battle bond lands or do I run this set or do I do this or do that? And you start running into like super weird walls. That are not like line and gameplay dependent. Like whether or not you have a, a, a mana confluence or an exotic orchard, it doesn't matter because you're still going to be able to cast your your thoracle. Right. So they're not line dependent choices, but at the same time, they're they, you have to think about this weird thing that is completely removed from whatever creatures you want to put in the deck, and that, right. I think it's just super hard. Um, one of, for me, one of the I, things, I, like I just put lands in there and then just tune it every time I'm like I'm short red. Swap. I I usually say start at thirty lands. Uh, figure out what your what is it sixty nine other cards is nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then nice. And then once you get those that set of cards. That's when I usually bring in the Frank Karsten formula. I run that formula. And if it's saying you should really only be playing like 28 lands based on how many mana rocks you're playing or whatever, then I'm like, cool, this opens up slots for these two cards that I cut out that I really wanted to be playing. And then it lets you kind of do that. And that's really where I go on a first draft. And then once you get a first draft going, you can then start to 
uh, you know, whittle it down. And I'll make sure to put the, uh, yeah. what's it called? Make the, sure you put that article, article in there because I don't think I've ever actually read that. I've just learned over years what my math is. Yeah. And just like where I'm comfortable. And I play teamer. So I look at all the teamer lists and I'm like, okay, this is what I do. I know what goes in there. We're, we're cool. Or if I'm playing red, I'm like, okay, I just need like 32 mountains, right? Uh, right. Well, I guess I, <clears throat> I guess you could run fetches and stuff like that. But just, you know, we get back to the filtering and the, the thinning out the deck and all that stuff, which is, you know, seven camps for, I'm not worried about it. But the point is I, I've brewed in a space for long enough that if it's red, red, blue, or teamer, I know mm. what that mana base looks like. Right now, I'm brewing, and I just sent you my Tolul's deck, which I, I yeah. dug up out of Moxfield, which has just been an interesting little ditty that I forgot about. I've never brewed an Esper deck before, so for that, that's a different mana base for me completely. So now it's kind of like, okay, read the articles, look at the other decks, look at comparable things, and go down that road. Um, it it takes time, and, and I think. Another side to this and maybe to to move into the next piece is like, don't get frustrated if your stuff goes sideways a little bit like it's going to when you (laughs) this is going to sound like some sort of knighting path worry or something. But Mm -hmm. when you decide to choose the life of a brewer, uh, sometimes your stuff isn't going to work. Sometimes you're going to have to iterate on things and the things that you wanted to work are just not going to. And it's yep. okay. Be open-minded. Take in the information. Ask questions. Have a pre and a post game chat. Do all of those things. But learn and take your time with it. Be all right with that failure because it's just a learning moment. That's all it is. Don't take that yeah. stuff to the chest. So, and 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 that's another important thing here as we kind of start to wrap things up for this episode is. I think that's an important thing to remember. Like we talked about a shadow bag, right? Um, Is the fact that like even cobble pot with uh, like shadow bag has kind of gone unless something else comes out. I think this idea is probably about where it's going to be. Right. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes accepting that your your idea is maybe not going to be perfect mm-hmm. uh and might not be quite good enough to be competitive and that's okay like not every idea is a a winner but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying and that you shouldn't brew and that you shouldn't try yeah. to experiment because one thing that Cobble has said even, you know, in when he was talking about Shadow Bag and his brewing experiences, is even when ideas don't pan out, you can still learn things from them. And yeah. you can find things in those find interactions and find uh patterns of play that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, there's a there's a lot of good things as far as that goes. To, to keep in mind with that. Yeah. I mean, it, brewing is a journey end to end. It's, mm-hmm. it's extremely personal. It's extremely, it, it can 
you can develop new friendships, you can develop conversations, you find yourself in different discords, you learn different things, you learn what you love, you learn what you hate. It's extremely interesting, but extremely complex, especially in EDH. This isn't a 60 card format where you throw four lightning bolts in and this and this and this and this, you're done. It's a hundred card singleton. You're brewing it in the most complex format with the, the highest of high power things going on. It's, it's, it's a weird place. So don't take that stuff to the chest. Take your time with it. Learn, be okay with things, move in a groove and ebb and flow. Like it's, it's right. all right to do that. And you just enjoy the process overall. Brewing, but it, I brew every day. I brew something. I, I'm always in there doing something. And you just, it's there to learn. It's like when Ken signs up for tournaments and he, he said that when he signs up for tournaments and to go to competitions and stuff, he's not going to win. He's going to go learn something. Yeah. I'm going to start brewing this deck because I want to learn how to do that, play the deck, start doing the thing and just learn from it. Set the bar there and you won't be disappointed. It's not setting it low. It's just yeah. setting it in a different spot. That's all. Well, I mean, look at all of the people again who are really successful in our format. Everybody who's winning tournaments right now that is, you know, going at the top of these tournaments, they're all brewers. Yeah. They're all people who have brewed all this wild and wacky stuff. And even though they might not be taking that to every event, yeah. uh, they're all trying different things and learning new things and it like expanding your mind. And that kind of goes into uh, a little bit about what you do. We talked about this a few weeks ago, like you like you said, but uh, your work with CEDHU. Yep. And uh, uh, Eminence Games. So uh, here is we're kind of wrapping up. Uh, tell us a little bit about that for the people who weren't here a few weeks ago. If you weren't, uh, you should go back and watch that video. But uh, tell us a little bit about CDHU and what Eminence is doing with that. Yeah. So CDHU is uh, a focused and targeted learning environment for anyone looking to enter the high power or competitive EDH format. Um, I separate the two of them because the two of them tend to blend and ebb and flow as, mm-hmm. you know, cards come out. Here we are. Um, but effectively, it's a way to get rid of the noise when you're interested in coming into the format. Um, get down to what you want to do, what you like to do, what decks are out there, what things exist, what can you know be done. And to kind of teach your mind how to think like a CDH player. Um, yeah. You know, to look at cards, to look at layers, to look at interactions, gameplay and stuff like that and go, okay, I understand why that person made that decision because it impacted this, right? CDH is a game of micro decisions more so than land, big thing, go. Uh, CDH is oftentimes played on the stack. It's very elaborate in the way that all these micro decisions impact the long term game. So, it can be complex. The idea of CEDHU is to kind of boil it down and get rid of all the noise so that we can teach you the complexity. <laughs> um, eminence is adjacent to that. Well, not adjacent. It's above that. Eminence Gaming is um, a business, a company, and a nonprofit organization that is run by me, Mikey, Zane, and Koibido Orion. Um, and our entire goal, our entire mindset is inclusive, accessible, um, affordable, 
CDH and EDH events. That's what we do. Um, that's our whole game plan. That's what we want to do. We want to bring EDH. We want to the bridge between different formats of EDH. A lot of that hasn't been established yet. Everything is still kind of fractured and broken apart. And, and, and while we've gotten rid of some of the stereotypes of things, you know, CEDH isn't pub stompers anymore. Uh, no band list isn't just this wild ragtag crew of individuals that want to do crazy things, right? We're getting closer to EDH just being EDH. Mm-hmm. But people don't know what all these things are and how all these things tie together. Eminence is kind of working to build an environment where all those things can come together and we can kind of all do all of that. Um, So command fest, our tournaments, CDH events, stuff like that is to have everybody come together and really experience all those things all at once Um, and learn again, what you like, what you don't and go around it and respect the players, give the players what they want. Um, We have an event coming up in San Jose, um, California. So Silicon dynasty that's in January. Um, tickets are on sale for that right now. We have uh, four more events scheduled for next year, including nationals, which will be in the central US of A. Uh, so we'll be bringing some events closer to everybody there. Um, do, it in, do it. Do it in <clears throat> Kansas City. Do it in Kansas City. <laughs> uh, and then in 2024, we're looking at kind of expanding into full blown command fest, um, yeah. you know, which is it hasn't really been announced quite just yet, but we are starting to kind of work into having a main event be a cdh event but then there's just pods and areas for free play for anybody who wants to pick up won't be prize walled or price walled or anything like that just mm-hmm. here's tables go go nuts uh no ban list popper artisan Oathbreaker, whatever your heart desires there's a spot that will be around there so that everybody can play with everybody and get a taste of all of those formats so that's eminence that's cdhu ultimately it's just building bridges between things to try to smooth all of the, the nonsense out. Um, and we, we just love the community and are trying to do our best to, to give the community what it deserves. Well, that about wraps things up for us here on today's episode. Thank you all for tuning in today. If you liked this discussion with Mike Bainey, please make sure you go and follow him and Eminence Gaming and CEDHU, all those things. Uh, Links should be in the description below. Also, if you liked this conversation and this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to rate the show on whatever podcast platform you are on. And if you are listening on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and hit that little ring button and turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode. And uh, while you're at it, also tell me down in the comments what your favorite part of the show was. I also would like to thank our top tier patrons, Justin, Adam Hamden, David Sneevely, Dionichis, Jason Bialik, Josh Stein, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the mind sculptors. I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time.